briefly review 2018 and, and uh, bring to mind some good news stories. And yet we recognize there's also been some challenges in this past year, uh, some that we have felt personally, some that we have felt as a church, and some that we have felt as a nation. One of the challenges that we have felt as a nation have been the uh, terrible wildfires in California. And uh, today, as we, we kick off a series that will roll into January, we wanted to lean into the analogy of wildfires to kick off a new message series entitled Unstoppable. During this message series, we're going to be very, uh, we're going to look at a very brief overview of one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's the book of Acts, which is a fascinating overview of the first 30-year history of the Christian church, which was truly an adventure. And if you've never read it, I would encourage you, maybe consider even that could be something you do in January, is to read the book of Acts. By the way, I, I believe as we think about this, this title, Unstoppable, the Adventure of the Early Church, I believe adventure is what many people are craving for in their lives. And speaking of an adventure, this, this is going to be my one word in 2019. If you've been here for a number of years, you know that over the past few years, I've chosen each year a word that helps me have a focus for that coming year. For example, this past year, my one word was hope. And so you might have sensed that that word hope just kept coming up over and over again, even in message series that we had here at Southwest. Now, after thinking about it and praying about it for some time, I've chosen for 2019 the word adventure. Now, I'm both excited and a bit apprehensive with embracing the word adventure for 2019. And yet, I'm ready to see what adventures uh, might be brought into my life, our family, and our church family. Now, to throw caution to the wind, I've personally begun the adventure process by giving my wife for Christmas a gift, a gift in the form of a promise. And my promise to my wife on Christmas Day was that 2019 will be the year that we get a family dog. Now, for some of you who don't understand why that's an adventure, I've been resisting this idea for years. Uh, I'm a bit of a dog Scrooge, okay? But, but I finally caved in and wrote on a Christmas card to my wife that I'm in for the adventure as long as she can find a dog that doesn't bark at me, jump on me, or require me to take it for walks. I think that's not asking too much. Those are my only conditions. And yet, pray for me, because on Christmas Day, she said, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to make sure, you know, we got a grand, grandson due in March. And she said, I, you know, I'll, I'll take my time, and we might not get this dog to the fall. So I was like, okay, good, good. Got time to work into it. Last night, I got home, and she said, I think I found our dog. <laughs> so pray for me. I, I think I'm in for an adventure. Now, for the, for the reader of the Bible or for someone that maybe says in 2019, I'm going to begin reading the Bible, by the time you get to the book of Acts, it's 
truly an adventure. The book of Acts picks up where the Gospels of Jesus leave off. The first four books of the New Testament, by the way, you're invited to pick up one of the free copies of the New Testament out in the lobby. I encourage you to pick one up and start reading it. But if you start reading the first four books of the New Testament, uh, which is the part of the Bible that deals with Jesus and his life and his teaching, the first four uh, books are the Gospels. They tell the life of Jesus, his, his teaching, his ministry, and they all four end with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the book of Acts, which was written by one of the Gospel writers, a guy named Luke, um, tells the story of what the followers of Jesus were like after the resurrection. It's a fascinating read. In many ways, Acts is a sequel of the Gospel of Luke. And Acts 1 overlays with Luke 24, where you can see a continuation of the story. And so Luke begins in Acts chapter 1, revisiting some conversations that the resurrected Jesus has with his first followers, these apostles, the 12 that he called to, to be his leaders of the early church. And let's listen in to one of those conversations in Acts 1 and verse 6. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I think they're still struggling with what this kingdom of God was going to look like. Maybe they still were holding on to kind of a militaristic political view of the kingdom. And let's see how Jesus answers them. In verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we see Jesus lay out his visionary plan uh, of the apostles taking his message of good news to the entire world, beginning in Jerusalem. This week, we want to look at the catalytic beginning of that movement. Now, to illustrate the wildfire of the early church, we're going to examine the four unstoppable stages of a wildfire. Now, firefighters, and I, I double-checked my points for this message with a friend of mine that's a captain of the Springboro Fire Department. He confirmed these, these stages are what I'm going to be sharing with you t- today, that, that the four stages begin uh, with this, this idea of incipient stage. Now, I would not heard of the word incipient. Maybe some of you had, but so I had to look it up. What does incipient mean? Well, it means to begin to happen or to develop. For our purposes, we're going to describe this as I researched this as some uh, give definition to incipient as pre-ignition. Okay, what's that pre-ignition stage of a wildfire? Let's read about the pre-ignition stage as it's described as we keep reading in Acts chapter 1. In verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who are present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, and then it lists all the 12 apostles. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. 
During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. What do you see in this incipient pre-ignition stage? I see that Jesus has promised back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what we read earlier, that the 12 apostles would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Jerusalem. So in verses 12 through 15, they're waiting for Jerusalem, in Jerusalem for God to act in a new, powerful, dynamic way. It's interesting, the word that's used in Acts 1 verse 8 to describe the power of the Holy Spirit in the original language that Luke is writing as he's quoting Jesus is actually the Greek word that we get our word dynamite. So keeping with this wildfire analogy, they're waiting for the fuse to be lit so that an explosive outbreak of God's power through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will ignite a new movement. And they're waiting the only way they know how, and that's by prayer. It's important to mention that the entire Christian movement at this stage in history was really very small as it consisted of only 120 believers. And yet they recognized that they were called to a mission and to a vision that was beyond their human power. And they're praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead them in an exciting new adventure. Some have suggested that the book of Acts is really a shortened name of, of a longer name, the Acts of the Apostles. One commentary I was reading preparing for this message said he felt a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Seeing, reading how God through his spirit worked in a miraculous way through some believers who trusted him and took him at his word. One of the challenges that modern day Jesus followers can run into is that we can read these stories of faith in the Bible and then we can try to try to live that out in our lives. We can long for that to happen in our church. And yet we've replaced this humble dependence upon God in prayer, waiting for God to act with our own personal ingenuity and polished techniques. And then we wonder why we fall on our face. As we long for God to be at work in our lives individually, and collectively for 2019, let's make sure that we prepare our hearts with a prayerful dependence upon God's Spirit to be at work in our lives. I'm not sure if you've already set 2019 goals for your spiritual life, your personal life, your family life, or your professional life. Some of you I know are goal or resolution averse. Or On the other hand, maybe some of you set goals, but you set them so that they're really easy to obtain, be obtained, because you don't want to be disappointed. Maybe some of you have set goals, like I read preparing for this message, like help all of your friends gain 10 pounds so you will look skinnier around them. Don't recommend that as a goal, okay? Number two, maybe some of you resolve that you want to read more in 2019, so you change the closed caption setting on your TV so you read the subtitles while you're watching TV. And if you've resolved to be on time for the 1115 service this year, you might want to rethink that goal, okay? It's been changed to 11. You know, each year, 
I'm a, I'm a goal setter. So each year I set what I call BHAG goals. Those are big, hairy, audacious goals. Because I, I'm a person that believes unless you shoot for something, you're not going to hit it. And so I have some BHAG 2019 goals, and I've shared those with our leaders here at Southwest. And, and, and I also recognize that not all of my 2018 personal goals and goals for the church have been reached. And I have to admit that one of the reasons why they weren't all reached is because I didn't really dedicate myself to praying as consistently as I should in 2018. So I've resolved to change that in 2019. So I've already started praying for these BHAG 2019 goals, and I'm I've, I've getting in the habit of praying every day for that. I want to ask you to pray for me as a leader in this church that I will be resolved to rely on God and His Spirit in ways that I've never resolved before, and that I won't go into the new year going on my own power or my own strength, but, but tap into God's power. And I would love to pray for you. And if you have a goal for 2019, maybe it's a personal goal, maybe it's a spiritual goal, a family goal, and you would like for me to pray for you, I want to ask you to fill it out on the communication card or email it to me or text it to me. And if you do that, I will pray for you to reach those goals because I'm convinced that we have to depend upon God like never before and tap into God's spirit dynamite power to see the changes that we long to in our lives individually and our changes and growth as a church. Now, the next stage of wildfire after the pre-ignition stage is a flashover. In Acts 2, we read specifically about a fire that flashes over them literally as we pick up the reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Wow, this is amazing. This is miraculous. I would have loved to have seen this. I try to picture it in my mind as we read it. It's a pivotal point in history. As God fulfills his promise to pour out his Holy Spirit for all people. You see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to the earth, the Holy Spirit was really just available for the prophets, the priests, or the kings. And yet God, who's the original special effects artist, does a powerful flashover event that gets the attention of all the Jesus followers, but also the thousands of people in Jerusalem for this very popular Jewish festival of the Pentecost. 
Now, if you're not familiar with this festival, it's a festival that took place in Jerusalem 50 days after the Passover. If you remember, Jesus was crucified right around the Passover. So that gives you a time period. It's, it's not even been two months since Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And the Pentecost actually had more people attending it because of the time of year it was than the Passover. And so there are Jewish people from all over the world that have made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost. And with all this commotion of the violent wind, wind, tongues of fire, and miraculous ability for the apostles to be able to speak in languages that they have never studied, which is what I believe that gift of tongues was all about, Peter stands up as the spokesman for the group in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now skip down to verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love this bold proclamation by Peter of the gospel. In fact, this is the first gospel message recorded, the first gospel message delivered following the resurrection of Jesus. And we see a clear description that will be repeated throughout the book of Acts. Uh, We'll see that the audience is told that they themselves are responsible for killing Jesus, putting him to death. You know, sometimes people debate, was it the Jewish leaders who killed Jesus? Was it the Roman guards that killed Jesus? You know, my answer to that question, it was me. You see, as a sinner, I'm responsible for the death of Jesus. And if you're like me or a sinner, then you too have to take some responsibility. That's why he died for our sin. And yet, God raised him from the dead. Now, for time's sake, we won't read the entire Acts 2 message, but as a challenge to me, It's not that long, but it's extremely powerful. And laced throughout Peter's message, verses 15 through 21, we see numerous references of Old Testament passages, which I think is a great example for those who, like me, are called to preach or teach. You see, at the end of the day, I'm convinced that it's not really what I say that will make a difference. It's not what I think that will make a difference. I'm convinced that what makes a difference long-term is the power of Scripture being read. That's why I believe one of my biggest roles, and actually I believe my biggest role here at Southwest is to continually expose Scripture each weekend, to expose it and teach it in such a way that, that we see the relevancy for our life. You know, sometimes I can beat myself up after a Sunday and I think, oh, that just that missed the mark. That just wasn't the message I wanted it to be. And I'll go home and share that with my wife and she'll say, did you read scripture? And I said, yes, I did. She said, well, then God's word will do its work. 
And I believe that with all my heart. And that's why uh, the messages I teach are filled with Scripture. But also, I want to invite you to make sure you're feeding on Scripture throughout the week, that you're not just relying on Sunday morning to fill you up, but that you're learning to feed yourself. So every year, as we typically do out in the lobby, you'll see uh, on a table, you'll see a number of Bible reading plans, one that'll take you through the whole Bible in a year, one that I like, it takes you through the Bible in two years. It just seems a little more manageable for me. Um, one just tell, takes you through some of the main stories of the Bible. I want to urge you, before you leave today, pick up one of those plans and resolve in 2019 that you're going to begin reading the Bible to really feed on God's Word, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Now, for those of you who think, I'm just not a paper person, well, then I want to point you to the Bible app that's called YouVersion. It's a great resource. It's free. And you can download it on your tablet or your phone. And my wife does this, who's more technically savvy than me sometimes. And, and, and she does various plans. And she'll text our daughters and she'll say, hey, I'm doing this plan. Do you want to do it with me? And, and maybe for you, that would work better. And if you don't like to read, I've, a number of people have shared with me, they'll just put it on their, their, uh, their dashboard on their phone uh, you know, hands-free, but, but pick the audio version and listen to Scripture as they're driving to work. It's a way to feed on God's Word. Make, let's make sure that we resolve to be in Scripture throughout 2019. Now, just like we noted during the Christmas season, we're challenged to believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are called to believe in the miraculous resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is the essence of the Christian message. This is the gospel. And we see it fully developed, which is the next stage of wildfires. You know, when a wildfire is fully developed, and we see that Peter, in his message, reaches the climax of his message, and not only lays out the gospel, but he develops the human response to the gospel. Let's keep reading in verse 36. Peter says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love that. Okay, first gospel message. At the end of the message, the crowd goes, how do we respond? What do we do? What do we do in light of this gospel message? Let's see what Peter said. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, the church explodes from 120 to 3,000. I love verse 36. As we read, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Now, I don't believe that this means that God created the Son 
because the Son has always existed with the Father. But now through the resurrection, God has made it known that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. It's also fascinating to me that in this first gospel message, as thousands, and by the way, they've obviously rolled out of that upper room they were meeting in, out into the temple courtyard, and, and, and that, that the thousands respond to this clearly presented gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. And the people are told specifically how they should respond. We see that, that they truly believe. The Bible says they're cut to the heart. They've got conviction that Jesus had died for them. And then they ask, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. You see, with that twofold response combined with faith, then we can have the certainty of a twofold promise, which is the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That same spirit who lit the fuse for this wildfire we call Christianity is now available to light a fuse in each individual's heart and life. That's good news. That's why I get so excited every time we have a baptism here at Southwest. And by the way, we're going to have a baptism at the end of this service and I'm excited about that because every time we have a baptism, we see another person who has acknowledged that their need for a Savior, and through their confession that Jesus is Lord, they've acknowledged that Jesus will be the ruler, the controller, the boss of their life. And from this point on, they're going to relinquish the reins of their life over to Jesus. You see, that's repentance, turning from a self-directed life to a Jesus-directed life. We see the gospel. We see, we see the gospel response. Now, my question is, have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded to this clear call to surrender our life to the one who is both Lord and Messiah and to, to be obedient in baptism? Now, the final stage of a wildfire is sometimes called the stage of decay. But not, since we don't want decay, it also can be described as smoldering or glowing. You see, at this stage, the fire will either be put out or it will continue to smolder only to be reignited again at a later time. My concern is that far too many people have started the Christian life with every intention of living a new life of faith surrendered to Jesus' leadership only to have that fire of faith or the fire of adventure to be extinguished over time. We see in the infancy of the church God's simple plan to make sure this spiritual wildfire does not go out. And that's through the continual interaction with other Jesus followers. You see, the life of discipleship or following Jesus was not designed to be lived in isolation by ourselves. It's truly a one another way. Listen to how these early Christians responded after the 3,000 are baptized in verse 42. It says, they, those 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. You keep reading about how that God kept adding to their number daily. 
Now, what do you notice in this description of the early church? It's anything but boring. It's an exciting adventure as people are living out their faith with glad and sincere hearts, and they've joined into the adventure of living out life with others in community. That's one of the reasons we emphasize over and over again the importance of regular church attendance and small group participation. And we want to invite you as we look, as we prepare for a new year, recommit yourself. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but recommit yourself to being consistent in engaging with others in fellowship and in small groups here at Southwest. I want to share a story before we take communion that I hope will speak to you as it speaks to me. There's a story of an old preacher who would regularly visit members of his church that had become lax in their attendance. On one occasion, he visited a member who was really struggling with his faith and his motivation to live the Christian life. And the preacher just sat and listened to the straying member's story. And after a while, the preacher quietly went over to the fireplace there was a fire was burning. And he took the fireplace poker and he took one piece from the fire. If you can picture that fire in your head. And he took one piece of wood and he separated it from the rest of the logs. And the preacher just continued to sit there and listen to the excuses that this straying member shared time after time of why they couldn't live the Christian life and why they, they just found it boring and why they, they weren't being consistent in their church attendance. And the preacher just sat there and listened and quiet. And they both sat there and watched that once glowing ember separated from the rest of the fire eventually die out and eventually just become a smoldering black piece of wood. After a moment of silence, the straying member got the point, and he said, I'll see you at church this Sunday. Don't be, don't be that ember that lets this fire extinguish in your heart. Instead, resolve to rekindle that fire for Jesus and long for a faith adventure that's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. One other important way that we can keep that fire burning in our lives is what Jesus instructs us to do, and that's to remember why we're following him. So here at Southwest, every weekend, we take communion to remember where it all began and why we're following him. Let's do what Scripture says to do during this time of communion. Let's examine our hearts. And let's ask ourselves, each of us, have I allowed that fire to dwindle in my heart? And I, will I resolve in 2019, will I resolve this week to reignite that fire once again and to pray and ask for God's Spirit to fan into flame my heart for God? Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel that we looked at today. We thank you for the adventure of the early church. Help us embrace that adventure and live it out in our own lives. And help us during this time of communion 
Examine our hearts. Examine our lives. Help us recenter our minds for another week, for another year, on why we're living this life of faith. Help us here during this communion. Jesus say, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. And we ask that through you, through your spirit, will fan into flame a heart and a love and a passion for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.